Welcome back to Mince Levens from the Edge. This is Jeremy Glazer, the co-chair of the Mince Levin Venture Capital and Emerging Company Practice. From the Edge is a podcast geared toward helping entrepreneurs thrive by learning from the experiences of executives in the technology, biotech, and finance fields. On this podcast, Mince Levin partners who work with growing companies, raising capital, building great management teams, and achieving successful liquidity events will discuss with investors and entrepreneurs the key reasons that they were able to build successful companies and the important lessons learned along the way. Mince Levin is a nationally leading law firm focused on helping emerging growth companies achieve success. Check us out at mincedge.com. Today we are really fortunate to have with us Walter Tanler. Walt is an experienced San Diego-based chief financial officer and early stage company advisor. Walt has a strong financial background with degrees from San Diego State University and Berkeley, and he has trained as an audit manager at Ernst & Young. He's been CFO of technology and life science startups, and has been on the other side of the table as well as the CFO of two venture capital firms. Today we're going to talk with Walt about the importance of having sophisticated financial advice when preparing your company for a financing or an M&A and the challenges that entrepreneurs face when they fail to take care of the financial side of the house. So Walt, before we dive into the topic, I always would like to have our guests talk a little bit about, you know, of all the things one could do with your life, why did you choose to work with early stage companies? Jeremy, first of all, it's good to be here on the day before Thanksgiving. I've worked for, I've worked in a lot of different situations. I've done turnarounds, I've done work with some larger companies, started with Ernst & Young, to me, nothing's more fun than working with an energetic team to build something. Those have been the times you know, during my career where I've had the most fun, where I get up and it's like, yeah, I'm happy to go to work. You know, Monday isn't something that is bad, it's something that's good. I like working with technology and medicine, like both those areas, have worked in both areas. And as a good CFO, it's important to have a pretty thorough understanding of the business at hand. You know, you need to understand the technology, the drug, or the medical device in order to really be effective at the company. In technology, it helps to speak the language. And I try to stay current, and I really enjoy this. You know, I have, I have five email accounts. I use Facebook. I use Twitter. I think I got you started on Twitter. You did. I use Instagram, Snapchat, WhatsApp, Messenger, Slack, and recently, had to download Venmo so I could get a bar loan repaid. The younger generation doesn't carry as much cash as we do. As CFO, I've been through five acquisitions, an IPO, and at least 20 rounds of series A, B, and C equity financings, along with, you know, I've attended 60 plus board meetings as either executive, director, or observer. That experience is really valuable. Yeah, I, I agree, Walt. I, I think that experience is really valuable to early stage companies. And yet, you know, earlier on in my earlier on in my career, it was very typical, even for a venture backed company, to have a full time chief financial officer. And I do feel like there's been a sea change in the market where now companies don't have full time CFOs. Talk a little bit about that. This is especially true in technology. Uh, The lean startup is all the rage, and it should be. You no longer need funding for employees. I agree with you, Jeremy. This is especially true in technology. The lean startup is all the rage, and it should be. You no longer need funding for employees, expensive office space, 
a half million dollars plus worth of equipment to start a tech company. A few guys or gals with laptops using Amazon Web Services or Google Cloud can build a working prototype and, and get so much farther than they could have in the old days. VCs used to fund early stage companies. It would be several million dollars and they'd insist on a CFO being there. Now, many of those companies are funded by angels who write a check and then look for the team to keep going, but they don't provide much in the way of guidance, in, especially in terms of legal, admin, accounting, and finance. Those, those functions take a back seat. In the early stages, not paying a full-time CFO makes a lot of sense, but not having an experienced fractional CFO doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think I think that's really, really good advice, Walton. Especially, you know, we're focusing here in our conversation about a company that is actually looking to do a financing, really, let's talk about you know, venture capital financing or maybe even an M&A transaction. And I think leading up to that, you're right that in this day and age, you probably don't need to have that expense of a full-time CFO and as you call it, a fractional CFO, a part-time CFO who can sort of drop in to help really does make a lot of sense. But... There's a lot of things that have to get done at a company before it gets into that capital raising mode. Walk us through some of those things that have to get done and, and why those really fall within the purview of the chief financial officer. I kind of break it down into a basic playbook for early stage companies. That is legal, admin, accounting, and finance. Lawyers need to be involved from the beginning when companies are founded, when shares are issued, in the later days when options are issued, there needs to be a clear understanding of who owns what so you don't have difficulties later between the founding team members. A CFO in there maintains the cap table, uh, ensures that the paperwork, board approvals, board consents, option pricing, stock option agreements are all done on a timely basis. And this can only be done if a CFO is in the loop. Then we have the admin and HR angle Every employee coming in should have a standard offer letter outlining compensation, benefits, option, equity, equity and option agreements, plus a proprietary information and invention agreement. As a CFO, I get a template from the lawyers, use that template for every hire, and you know, make sure that the files for the employees are in place you know, day one when the employee starts. I also provide alternatives for things like health insurance. You know, who do you go to for health insurance? Should you use a PEO? What about regular insurance? You know, what, what do you need and at what stage of the company? And I've worked with a lot of the brokers in town and I know the companies that early stage companies should be using. Um, the same is true for banks. Not every bank works well with early stage companies. They're about they're a handful in town. I've worked with most of them, and it's important to be directed toward the right financial institution, accounting. I focus on setting up affordable but good accounting, usually using QuickBooks. You want payroll with an outside service. There are many to choose from. There are also alternatives now for collecting customer payments, uh, usually from credit cards, and those alternatives cost different amounts of money and give you different reporting and understanding where the company is going and what it's going to look like as it scales is important in making these choices. Finance in the early stage is about good projections, asking the right questions, having the, an idea of how much capital do you need to raise, and also helping the company budget for 
not running out of money before they raise capital mm-hmm. and then having a good budget in place when they get the financing. When it's time to raise a preferred round, the investors are going to kick the tires hard. They're going to ask counsel to verify that all stock is issued right. They're going to look at all the employee files. They're going to look for all those agreements I mentioned. They're going to really dig into the projections and they want to know that the founders understand their business forward and backward. Uh, The CFO helps prepare for that. Well, I'd like to have you explain to us what types of financial statements does a company need? And I'd like to address kind of what they need at the angel financing round and then what do they need at the venture capital financing round. And in particular, I think there's some misunderstanding about when do you need to bring in an outside accounting firm? When do you need a review? When do you need an audit? So maybe you could help us understand that better. Sure. So, Jeremy, I think it comes down to it, it comes down to the fact that you've got a lot that can get done with very little money and people just working with, uh, you know, with laptops and Amazon Web Services, and you really don't have to focus a lot on the books at that point. What you need is accounting in place from the beginning where you're, you're just basically recording the money that's coming in, the money that's going out. You don't need an accounting firm. You don't need a review. You don't need an audit. And Oftentimes, it's interesting, for an angel financing, in terms of the financials you need, a lot of times it's none. You need you know, an idea that you get over to the angel, and the angel writes a check, and you go. I mean, it's, it's done based on faith and belief. That migrates a great deal by the time you're going to get a preferred financing done from a sophisticated investor. You need to keep you know, I'll, I'll use QuickBooks as an example because it's the easiest one. You need QuickBooks, somebody looking at it monthly, somebody making sure that it actually makes sense. It's tracking what goes in and what goes out. It doesn't cost that much to do it. But I'll give you some examples of where I've seen that go wrong, where companies have gotten angel financing. They've built pretty good businesses. In one case, company had been operating for about 14 months. And I went in there and talked to them and I said, okay, so what are you using for payroll? And they told me, and what are you using for collecting customer receipts? Because they had a real business going and they told me. And I said, and what are you using for accounting? Oh, we were going to start looking at that. Maybe we'll use QuickBooks. So they've been operating for 14 months growing. They had 50 contractors and they didn't even have basic accounting. They could not produce a financial statement. That's a nightmare that that doesn't need to happen. In that same case, they weren't collecting all the data they needed on W-9s for the contractors. And when it came time at the end of January to file the 1099s, it became a fire drill to avoid getting pretty stiff penalties for not filing 1099s for all those contractors. So it's things, you need basic accounting in place and somebody that's got knowledge and experience looking at things, let's say on a monthly basis for a couple of hours, just to keep things in line. And so that's at the, at the angel financing round, but now you, you've been at a VC fund, you've been with companies that have raised venture capital. How does that change when you're raising venture capital and once the venture capital funds are actually investors? And as long as you've got QuickBooks and, and you've really recorded what's gone in and what's gone out and it's an intelligent looking set of financials, that's all you need. That's all that, you know, that's all that you really need. It'll produce an adequate financial statement. And then you're going to need to track things a little bit better once you raise money and you're hiring more people and you're, you know, hopefully bringing in more revenue. 
you're going to need something that looks better, but it's still just going to be QuickBooks. It's just going to be a little bit more time spent by somebody who's sophisticated and understands that drill. When do I have to bring in an accounting firm? When do I need to do a review or even an audit? That That's a lot later. I mean, and, and in fact, with... Um, with most companies, if you don't have much debt financing, so the bank doesn't require an audit, you can go from, from angel money to series A to series B to acquisition without ever having an audit. That's interesting. So even, even in the face of an M&A transaction, I don't need to have an audit when I'm getting, I'm getting bought by another company in your experience. Oftentimes not, especially in the tech world where, you know, you've got some of the major players that do a lot of the buying, you know, whether it's Google or Facebook or Apple or Microsoft or Intel, Cisco, they, they're large. They understand they're buying something that's smaller. They're understanding that they're paying a premium for the technology they're getting. But they're not usually demanding of, of an audited financial statement in order to see what they're getting. I mean, they're paying a huge premium for the team and the, and the technology. I see. So this is really, when you focus on technology companies, it's not so much about the financials. It's about the tech. It's about the team. And so there's less focus on the need for an audit, even in an M&A transaction. That's true. It, it needs to be adequate. It, it needs to be there. And you need to have, you know, everything needs to be in place. But an, an audit isn't required most of the time. Great, great. So I know you've had a lot of experiences with a lot of interesting companies. And I think your outline of all the roles that a chief financial officer plays, even in an early stage company, was wonderful and very helpful. But I'm sure there's been some stories of companies that you've been involved with where they didn't do all those things. And I think it would be interesting for our listeners to hear what, what happened in companies where they didn't take care of the cap table and HR and all these things that you laid out in insurance. I, I've seen I've seen examples of all these things, especially in the last couple of years with the angel financed companies, where maybe they didn't issue all the documents they should have when employees got options. Maybe they didn't get a timely board consent or or have it done timely at a board meeting. You know the and and with. What you want to look at is companies that are going to be successful tend to make a lot of progress in a short period of time. If you were supposed to issue shares, let's say in March, and you don't get around to it until July, and at July you've signed up like two big customers and some other wonderful things have happened, you can't issue those shares back at the price that you thought you could issue them at March, you know, most likely. And those are the kinds of things you want to avoid. I mean, you, you don't want to piss off your, your key employees by, by simply not doing things on a timely basis. Look, let me give an example of something that went right. And, you know, obviously this comes from my past, which I can speak to with the most authority. So I got called in to work as the CFO at a company called Personal Logic when they raised a $7 million Series B. In today's terms, it'd be more like a Series A. But I went in and the first thing I did was take a look at all the employee files, all the contract files. I looked at the books. They, they, they were keeping QuickBooks. It was adequate, but they didn't have somebody really sophisticated doing the work. So I made sure that things were in order and then I really made sure that things were clean as we went forward. One of the other things I did was I went out and got a million dollars in a venture loan. So this was money that we could actually spend. Sometimes banks will loan you a million dollars as long as you have a million dollars on deposit with them. That's not a loan. What's the <laughs> point? 
but with the venture loan, we got a million real dollars. Well, let's fast forward two years later. We're almost out of money. We've used up almost all of that venture loan. And then two offers came in from Microsoft and AOL. We're still at the point where we're not able to make many more payrolls. In fact, we had to call a small bridge loan from our investors. But AOL came in, they did their due diligence. It went really quick. And in the meeting afterward, they said, you know, we've acquired, this team had acquired about six companies that year. And they said, this was the cleanest due diligence we ever did. Everything was in order. All the contracts, all the files, the books. That's because I prepared from that for day one. I knew that if it was going to be successful, the company would be acquired. This wasn't a company that was going to IPO. And I had things prepared for that. And it turned out it made, it made a lot of difference that the AOL acquisition didn't get stretched out to the point where we ran out of money. I think that's such an important point that you've raised that the reason to bring sophisticated financial advice into the company early is because you need to always be thinking about that potential exit. You need to make sure the company is thinking about that and preparing for that all along the way. Correct. So look, I want to shift gears a little bit. You know, you've talked a little bit about, you know, lessons learned and this is obviously we're trying to really give some great advice to entrepreneurs who are starting companies. And if you could look back now at the beginning of your career, what would you tell an entrepreneur now who's just starting seeking funding for their company based on your prior experiences? I, I'll bring this back to a story. Um, the best advice I ever got came from Jim Blair of Domain Partners our fund at the time I was working for Avalon, and we had co-invested with Domain in a company. At a board meeting, I was discussing a draft term sheet with Jim and focusing on some issue with respect to a preference and what would happen in a case where we had a mediocre outcome or a crappy outcome. Jim said, he just cut me short. He said, Walt, we're in the upside business. Just make sure that if we do well, the company does well, the investors do well. That was a really, really good lesson that, you know, yeah, there are gonna be companies that do poorly and you can deal with that at the time. What you really wanna focus on is what are the big winners gonna be? A few big winners make every venture capital fund. A few big winners make the career of entrepreneurs. If you have things in line so that you don't have roadblocks on the way to raising money or on the road to getting M&A that can come out of left field, that is the most important advice that I ever got. Focus on the upside. You're in, in the venture capital. You're in the upside business. I really, I really like that. And I've seen that with the good venture capital funds that I've dealt with also are focused on the upside and not so worried about protecting on the downside. I think that's, that's really good advice. Well, look, as we're about to wrap up, tell us a little bit about your current activities and what you're doing now. I'm currently working as CFO part-time for Mission Ventures. They've got three venture funds, and, and at the end of venture funds, you need to wind them down, and that's what I'm helping them do. Um, I'm, I'm doing that because I like the work. I understand the nuances of working with GPs, LPs, and portfolio companies, and you know the work is pretty interesting to get that done. I'm also working with an early-stage company in San Diego. It's been around for a couple of years. Recently, it just closed on a million and a half financing from a, a local group. And I'm working with them to plan for the upside. You know, get things in order, take a look at what the future looks like and have them prepared for when something good happens and, and help them get there with respect to strategy and, and 
you know, really making, really figuring out what the metrics of the business are and helping them get from point A to point B with this new million and a half that's going to allow them to double the team and really increase the sales and marketing. So, well, I got to tell you, you, you have such a great perspective and I think it's really unique in a lot of ways because you're one of the very few, you know, CFOs that least, certainly that I know of who've been in companies as well as been on the venture capital side. And I think that perspective to be able to bring that to bear, whether it's at the venture capital fund or whether it's at the company is hugely valuable. I, I agree. It just worked out that way. I mean, at the VC firm, I didn't just do the books of the fund. In fact, most of my time was spent as acting CFO of our invest in investment companies that, that I would go in and for the first six months or a year, I would be the CFO of the portfolio company. At, at any given time, when I opened up Silicon Valley Bank, I would have eight different cash accounts for eight different investments that we had made. And, and as they matured, we'd get somebody in there, maybe a controller, maybe you know a different fractional CFO, whatever made sense. But I got the chance to prepare dozens of term sheets, go to board meetings, and see many more financings than a serial CFO would see. Well, that's just great. Well, Walt, thank you so much for taking the time with us on this podcast today. Uh, to our listeners, thank you for listening, and I look forward to having you join us in the future from, from the Edge. Thank you. Thank you.